Today's uh, passage comes from Matthew 21, uh, 17 verses. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. The word of the Lord. If um, my name is Fuji, I'm one of the assistant pastors. Actually, I'm the only assistant pastor. Let's pray that Pastor Sam, the regular preacher of the gospel, will continue to recover, test negative for COVID, and return in time to celebrate Holy Week. I also wanted to make note that I'm um, uh, thankful to um, Glennon Ja, who uh, prepared these um, palm trees. Um, so, so thankful for that. So I'm right now preaching between two palm trees. Um, but there you go. The week uh, leading up to Easter is found in all four gospel accounts. The week begins in Mark 11 of 16 chapters, in Luke 19 of 24 chapters, and in John 12 of 21 chapters. And here in Matthew 21 of 28 chapters, so much of the gospel accounts involve, which is one of the reasons Wellspring makes space to meet more this week in order to grow together in the gospel. The event that initiates that week is Jesus entering into Jerusalem, the city of David, the, the city of Israel's kings. Now, three things we learn related to Jesus that king how the king arrives, how the crowd responds, how the religious leaders respond. Let's go to the first one. How the king arrives. 
verses 1 to 5. Jesus sends two of his entourage, uh, disciples, verse 2. They go into the nearest village, find a donkey tied up beside its young, a colt. Just in case its owner stops them, Jesus gives them the secure password. The Lord needs them. Now either Jesus used some Star Warsian force and says, the Lord needs them. I will send the donkey. No, it could have been. Or some scholars say that Jesus knew the owner. Knew the owner. Kind of prearranged the thing. But Tim Keller says, well, it, it can't be the case because um, Jesus does not name the owner. He just says, well, if someone stops you, because Jesus was known in these parts. This is Bethpage, which is right next to Bethany, two small villages uh, in the outskirts of Jerusalem. This is where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. And not too long ago, this is where Jesus resurrected Lazarus. And Jesus must have known the people, and the people must have known him. <laughs> oh. Why go to this length, directing his disciples to ride a donkey? Jesus riding on a donkey or any other animal only appears here. He and disciples walk everywhere unless it's a boat, like most did in the first century. Jesus has been walking for 100 miles before this. And in the last mile or two, just needing to go from Mount of Olives down the valley and up the hill to Jerusalem. I've done it. It's doable. It's a short distance from the immediate suburbs to the urban center. Jesus yet wanted to ride a donkey. Well, actually, a, a baby donkey, a colt. This was deliberate, for this is how the king arrives. This is how he rolls. Israelite kings, the, the good ones, had a habit of riding not on steeds or stallions, but on donkeys. Uh, when David returned, uh, after uh, crushing his son's rebellion against him, uh, he, he was victor. He was coming back to his city in peace. He rode on a donkey. When King Solomon was about to be uh, crowned, coronated, he rode on a donkey. Matthew says that Jesus' reason to ride on a colt was to fulfill a prophecy of Zechariah 9. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal, foal of a beast of burden. Now, all the past kings of Israel who lived, tried, and failed were really pointing to a future king, one that has been prophesied. But he's not going to come to wage war in Jerusalem. He's not going to come with military shock and awe. No. He's going to come. He's going to win. But he's going to come as king and humble. Zechariah 9.10 says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So Jesus directs his entrance into Jerusalem to show that he is king. He's the king who fulfills that prophecy. 
As king, Jesus directs all things. He's in control. He's managing it. He arranges all things. Another point of the prophecy is that this king is humble. He's humble. Verse 5, your king is coming to you humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt. A colt that a servant rides on, if ever. Israelites under Roman rule longed for a Messiah, but also a certain kind of savior uh, who would also be the Navy SEAL, uh, the general, the superhero, godlike warrior. But Jesus deliberately chose a prophecy of a king who was also gentle and humble. Matthew records another prophecy fulfilled. Matthew 12, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. Gentle. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. We have multiple books outside, entitled Gentle and Lonely. Jesus presents himself this way. Even Jesus bringing, notice this, even Jesus, why does he bring two animals? One, the mother of the cult. He's only riding one, the cult. But people say the reason why is because it's a never-ridden cult headed into a clamoring crowd. It needs some comfort, gentle comfort, its mother. It also goes to show that Jesus is thinking about the cult. See, this is how the king arrives, showing that he's the one directing. He's directing. He's directing all things. And he's humble and gentle. Jesus is humble towards others, gentle, asking questions. See, why would Jesus ask questions to people? He's a guy who never had to say, I don't know. <laughs> like, can you imagine Jesus? I don't know. No, he never said that. But he asked questions. Why? Those questions aren't for him. They're for us. It's a gentle way of relating with us. He is the high priest who came, able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. But notice this, uh, Jesus about himself is never modest. Never. He's, he made what seems like outlandish claims. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I will give you living water that completely hydrates. When driving out the money changers and sellers occupying the temple, he claims the temple to be my house. Wow, that's a claim. Direct and humble. See, that's a combo. <laughs> that's a combo. Better than any Myers-Briggs type indicator combo. Better than any Enneagram. And I'm a nine and a one, and I think that's awesome. This is better than that. 
See, the psalmist in Psalm 85 says this, Steph's love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Two things that sometimes don't go together. It comes together in Jesus. See, that's what we really need. That's what we really need. See, Jesus' direction is very clear and loving. It's not coercion. See, he has kingly authority, no doubt, but kind towards sinners. He's direct with the Samaritan woman, very direct. He has five husbands, and the man you're right now living with, boyfriend, but engages her, loves her. See, loves her like no other person can. He's very direct about who she, wor- she is worshiping, how she is wanting to satisfy her thirst, and yet Jesus engages See, whenever, I'm being quick to, whenever I've been quick to be angry and when bitterness arises, see, the natural thing should, should be that God would condemn my anger. You know, you're angry, why are you sinning? God would crush me in his wrath, but he doesn't. The Holy Spirit reminds me to pray the truth from Psalm 6. Oh, Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. See, he doesn't treat me like that. He's very direct. Yeah, you got an issue. But he's gentle. See, Jesus, through his word, is direct and humble. Jesus stands out against the backdrop of kings, leaders, and authorities. See, because that's what we normally end up with. Leaders and authorities and us being parents. He said, yeah, we receive direction, but not gentleness. Someone like the Pharisees and scribes who exercise authority by interpreting the laws, rules, policies, personal insight that is passed along to others as binding laws. And if they don't practice and observe everything you tell them or are told to us, we get judged. Some of us have declared ourselves as experts of the law, giving direction and prescription, but not in humility, self-effacement. On the other hand, um, there's people, and sometimes I'm like this, is we're humble, but sometimes we confuse humility with lack of care. Grace, in the name of grace, we're actually just being lenient and irresponsible. Um, we give people no direction. It's actually incompetence or insecurity. See, just to be sure uh, that I don't leave the, just to be sure that the teens in this uh, congregation start to think like, you know, my, my parents are just like, you know, they just give direction, no gentleness. Or my other parent is all gentle but no direction. Just to make sure that I don't leave you guys out. See, we're all... We're all fail at this combo. Do you speak the truth in love? Or you're just good in speaking your mind, but no filter. No filter. Some people see that as a strength. I see that as a flaw. Or all love to your friends, wanting to be light, but don't really, you don't really ever tell them your honest truth. Not going to lie. I've done that. Inevitably, these approaches will come back to haunt us. 
The only way to change is to see and experience the combo. In Jesus, the king who comes to us, the king who comes to us, direct and humble. That's the first thing we got to learn. We got to go to the second thing. The second thing is how we got to respond. How the crowd responds, you'll see it in verse 6 to 9. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And then most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the roads. So this is the crowd from the northern part of Israel in Galilee who experienced Jesus' power. They firsthand heard his teachings. Now, and they just saw and or heard Lazarus being resurrected. And this is the crowd that's also, some, some of them are heading to Jerusalem early for the Passover. And some must have heard two blind men just a few days ago, not even, crying out to Jesus, Son of David, using that title. The crowd is going wild. They took off their outer garment, cut palm branches to create a red and green carpet. There you go. Amazing. Better than the Oscars. With no slapping involved. That's great. This is usually done only for VIPs, very important Presbyterians, but they're surrounding Jesus. Hosanna, meaning save us, but at this point in time, it's turned into a praise like hallelujah to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, the disciples are gasping at this moment because all along, Jesus has been telling them, don't disclose everything that you've seen. Don't disclose who I truly am. Jesus tied their hands with an NDA. But Jesus does not rebuke the blind men from calling him son of David. Jesus doesn't stop the crowds. In fact, Jesus is the one who arranged that crowd. He's been preparing that crowd. And now they're coming in, calling him the son of David, the king that they've been longing for for centuries, the eternal king, the king of all kings, the last king they would ever need. And the disciples like, "Uh oh, they're entering into Jerusalem and there's going to be a confrontation. <laughs> See, um, to the degree, to the, and John's gospel says, they did, even the disciples, even at this moment, did not fully understand. And the crowds then must have understood less. But to the degree that you understand who Jesus is, would you welcome him? To the degree that you understand that he is far greater of an authority than you, that you would welcome his direction. Who he says about you, what he says about you, that you would say, okay, all right, that's, that's truer than what I think about myself. Would you take his direction? Would you welcome him? And would you worship him? Would you raise him up? Would you accept him for who he is? Do we welcome him, Hosanna, to be saved and changed by him? That's the first response. But there's another way to respond to Jesus coming to us as king. And it's item number 2.5. I snuck an extra one in there. It's how the city people of Jerusalem respond. You'll see it in verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Who this? The question is not about Jesus' bio, because the answer that's given there is, oh, yeah, 
Jesus, uh, he's from Nazareth of Galilee. But no, the city is stirred, is in a commotion, because they're asking, what is his identity beyond family connection? Why? See, this is the conclusion of what happened in Matthew 2, 3. When Jesus was born, all Jerusalem was alarmed along with Herod, King Herod, at the news of the birth of a new king of the Jews. Now that king is presenting himself to the city. The whole city is shaken. They're not sure because they've not, they haven't experienced or heard firsthand Jesus that much. It's these folks in the city who are easily incited later on to ask Jesus to be crucified. For those people who are like the city people, you're not really sure. You're not really sure. Who is this? You may have gone to church. You may have heard Jesus, heard about him, but you never really considered who he is. Wellspring, we made some space Tuesday nights after Easter. Come, have a conversation. Let's talk about who Jesus is. That's the only way to find out. Come. Over dinner, let's chat and ask the question, who is this Jesus? But there's another way to respond to Jesus. Let's go to three. It's how the religious rulers respond, verses 12 to 17. After Jesus entered, cleared the temple, healed the blind man, blind and the lame, the children started to shout, Hosanna to the son of David. And the religious rulers were indignant. They were angry. It's not because the children were making a hubbub. Now, kids, I know you're, you shouldn't be shouting at home, but if you go home and shout Hosanna uh, to the son of David over and over again, I'm going to just tell your parents, please don't stop them. Don't become angry. Let the kids go at it. The religious rulers were indignant because Jesus did not stop them. These kids were recognizing the title of Jesus. Why was that so angry? Here, in this right here in Matthew 21, the religious leaders are the chief priests and the scribes. Later, they're the chief priests and the elders of the people. After that, it's chief priests and the Pharisees. And then, with the Herodians, then the Sadducees. Now, scholar R.T. Franz says, this is a wide coalition of different groups who on other matters would never see eye to eye. They're the Republicans and Democrats, right? They're far apart. They would never come together. But they do come together for one thing, to oppose this preacher from the North, Jesus who in different ways threatened each of their positions of power. See, these were the religious kings who direct others. They're the prescribers. But they never humble themselves to help others. Jesus is recorded in Matthew 23 saying to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Oh, very kingly. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. See, these religious rulers were about to lose their jobs. 
they had enough. They took the last steps in their murderous scheme to kill Jesus. They had to get rid of him. They had to get rid of him. They would be the ones to incite the city people of Jerusalem to turn on Jesus, bring false witnesses against him. Tim Keller asserts that every one of us now has a choice. Welcome him or kill him. Would you welcome him? Or would you say, you know what, um, Jesus, I'm thankful that you're a good teacher. You're a good prophet, a rabbi. But you know what, I'm going to go my own way. You're trying to give me direction, but I think I figured it out. Say, we, either you accept his direction and his affection for you, or you say, you know what, Jesus, you are dead to me. And you're going to try to hold on to being the ruler of your own life. See, here's the sin. Sin is servants acting like kings. Here's the good news. The king acting like a servant, riding on a donkey. How does Jesus become a king like this? See, Jesus did not establish his kingdom through a violent overthrow of his enemies, but actually succumbing and submitting to his enemies. It is only through going to the cross as his enemies intended that Jesus, see, notice this, his enemies intended it. But Jesus actually obeyed the direction and will of the Father. Going to the cross was also him humbling himself, as Philippians 2 says, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus took direction. Jesus was humbled. And he was convicted as king of the Jews. See, Jesus' resurrection then, resurrection was his coronation. His coronation. To be the eternal king, as Paul writes in Acts 13, 34, for the fact that he was raised from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David, yeah, the king. Do you see that? His death and resurrection is how he becomes king. See, this is our king. Would you welcome him? Welcome him and worship him. Oh, kneel me down again. Here at your feet, show me how much you love humility. Oh, spirit, be the stars, star that leads me to the humble heart of love I see in you. You're the God of the broken, friend of the weak. You wash the feet of the weary, embrace the ones in need. I want to be like you, Jesus, to have this heart in me. You're the God of the humble. You are the humble king. This week, this week is space on your calendar to know him who is far greater of a king and servant than we have known. Would you welcome him this week? Right now, let us go to Jesus the king who gave up his life to be the prince of peace to the supper. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you take all that Jesus is and all that he has done for us. Help us to experience it. Yes, we have heard, but help us to experience him giving up his life 
his body broken, his blood spilled, so that we could have him as our king. Not just a king far away, but a king close and near, and in fact, united with us. Bless us as we now celebrate him and take him into our lives. In Jesus' name.